And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering down on some ground across the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about we are down south of Birmingham. We are up north of Huntsville. We are Tuscaloosa back over to Gadsden, Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, pieces of them to throw in just for good measure. I'm just telling you. It's, it's, and I, and I, by the way, I, you know why? You know why we've been able to do that in, in just a year and a half on the air? It's because of y'all. There, there ain't no way around this. Boomer and I can sit here and push every button and slide every dial and yell into this little microphone. But the truth of the matter is it's, it's because we got an audience of people that actually listen and respond and engage. And so uh, very cool. Hey, by the way, uh, one of our sponsors who's been with us since the very beginning is ZLA Solutions. If you have not heard of them, let me just encourage you, just look them up just for the heck of it. Look, at, look up their website, ZLAUSA.com. Um, they're good at what they do. And what they do is they provide all kinds of business end solutions. They do things like logistics and warehousing. They can do your quality control, your sorting and containment, all that kind of stuff. But their bread and butter, man, is, uh, is staffing. Temp and direct hire. So it doesn't matter. And, and if you are looking for a job yourself, they got their jobs posted on their website. You can find good jobs all over North Alabama, high-paying jobs very often uh, with good employers. But here's the thing. If you're an employer needing to fill out the ranks of your workforce. It doesn't matter whether it's onesies and twosies or a whole shift of people, special skills or a factory line, whatever, doesn't matter, or just entry-level workers, I mean. Then it, you, you just get in touch with them at ZLAUSA.com. They can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing if necessary, get you all the folks you need. That's what they do. They like to say at ZLA, we don't make it. We, we make it better. And at ZLA Solutions, they do indeed. Check them out, ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. Please tell them you heard about it on the right side. All right, uh, we're hey, about to switch real gears. quick, what before you- we switch gears, I had a quick <laughs> question for you. I know we were talking about all these souvenirs and everything. Um, oh, that, earlier in the show? Yeah, earlier in the show. And um, I saw a few text messages come in. One, one particular, Mike from uh, uh, Coxie, Alabama, he was asking, you know, what's some, what are some of these souvenirs you, you may have uh, brought back. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, okay. So you're talking about, <laughs> oh, wow, all right. Now you're going to get me all whimsical. Um, so uh, you've been to my house. Oh, yeah. You've seen my study. I've got, I've got things on the wall, things on the shelves, and they're just like, some of them are just special to me. I mean, they're special in general. Um, but like, um, uh, you've seen the three rifles that are hanging. Saw the three rifles. So there's three generations of war trophies, three rifles hanging together on a wall, uh, I brought one back from uh, it's a it's a it's a and, and customs approved it. It's a black powder um, model eighteen fifty nine Enfield rifle that I brought back from Afghanistan. Uh, uh, a, a Nagant that my dad brought back from Vietnam. A Mauser my grandfather brought back from World War Two. So it's three generations of war trophies hanging together. That just that just means the world to me to have those. Um, well, there was the uh, the shell, the giant shell. Oh, yeah. well, I had the two shell. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yes. So I've got a, a brass, solid brass 105 Man. shell <laughs> sitting on the uh, <laughs> on the shelf in my study. Uh, it was fired from a Spectre gunship um, during Operation Anaconda when they were hunting uh, uh, Bin Laden in the Tora Bora Mountains in 2002. So I got to know a Spectre gunner because uh, we were doing our infill through uh, a special operations base in Uzbekistan. That's where all the uh, all the dudes who, who flew Spectres were located. If you ever have seen the Spectre gunship, man, you got to look it up. Got a 105 howitzer cannon poking out the side of a C-130 airplane, and they can just they can pinpoint a target from 10,000 feet and Ooh. take it out. Anyway, yeah, I got a shell casing from the hunt for Bin Laden. Um, I tell you, the other shell casing though that I didn't see coming. So my dad, who's passed away now, but my dad was career army. So sitting on the shelf is this little half size bright, shiny brass, 
shell casing. And I, I thought for the longest time it was like a bowl or a, a cigar holder or something. I didn't know what it was because it was short. It's only about six inches tall. And one day I looked at it and I picked it up and I realized when I looked at the bottom of it, it's a shell casing and it's been fired. And it's, but it's shiny brass. And I asked Dad, I said, what's the deal with this, Dad? What is this? And he goes, oh, that's a shell casing from Eisenhower's funeral. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> You've got what? Wow. And he said, yeah. And I, he was like, was like real blasé about it. And I said, what are you saying to me? What is this? Well, I actually had him do a, uh, I've seen enough Antiques Roadshow. So I, I had him do an affidavit, which I, I keep on, you know, on file um, before he passed away. We were stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas. When Eisenhower passed away, he was originally from Kansas. The funeral train brought him to Kansas uh, for the funeral. And uh, one of my dad's friends was in charge of the 21-gun cannon salute to receive the, pre- the, the former president and general, uh, Eisenhower, and saved my dad one of the shell casings. So, I mean, how cool is that? Wow. How cool you, is that? You know, I, I think one day, maybe this year, you're going to have to do a remote from your home, <laughs> and we'll do the video thing. No. And you can just, yeah. I don't want I mean, to. there's stories no. upon stories in there. <laughs> and, you know, that, I mean, that I, rug know, is, I enjoy the stories. I know everyone else does. Everyone else has these stories, too, which is pretty cool. You, you've seen the rug, too, in that. The rug, that. yes. So I've got a rug in there. So when we liberated Afghanistan, I got there at the very beginning, and uh, we were trying to show the people of the of the nation that it was a new day. And so I was given op funds that I could use to help, um, you know, surrounding area. So I'm on a special operations team out in the middle of nowhere. So we, we decided we had to show women it was a new day. They've been so subjugated by the uh, Taliban. So we, uh, yeah, so we, uh, we took some of the op funds. We renovated the building. We called it the uh, Kunduz Women's Center where they could learn a trade because they've been denied the opportunity to learn a trade. And one of the traditional trades in Afghanistan for women is rug making. And um, so uh, we built the center. We purchased the looms, we bought them the materials, we hired an instructor, and I told them I wanted the very first rug, and I paid for it. I, I, I paid $500 uh, in American dollars uh, over there, which was a lot of money for Afghanistan. And I, I got pictures of three uh, young ladies on their knees with the instructor for three months making that rug by hand, and it's now in my study. Wow. And, um I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take money for it. I have no idea what it's worth, but there's no way you can replace the, the story and, no. and the pictures that go with it and what it meant because it was the liberation of, uh, of a people. Right. Um, and it was just cool. Man. It was cool. Yeah, I got all kinds of stuff like that. I, all kinds of stories. <laughs> I, just, I don't know where they come from, but sometimes I, I think, man, there is, I could sit in this room and just, just tell me stories. <laughs> but, um, uh, hey, we're going to jump over to Home Fries. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about some things that are happening around the great state of Alabama. By the way, I say it all the time on this show. I do not mind a bit on this show saying several things. Jesus is Lord. America's great. Alabama is beautiful. And oh, by the way, life is worth living. So yeah, we got to talk about our home state because there's things you got to know. Sometimes I like them. Sometimes I don't. But Home Fries, going to cook up a little Home Fries here, tell you some things that are happening. By the way, one of the things that is going on right now is you got to know that today your new legislature is going into session today. It's called the organizational session. So here's the thing. I spent eight years in the state Senate and the organizational session is, is fairly relaxed. Uh, it, it can have some machinations to it. The organizational session is what you do at the first part of every four year term. Uh, by the way, a four year term, the fancy name for it is a quadrennium. So at the beginning of every quadrennium, the legislature goes in, they're only allowed to, by law, meet 
five times of their own accord. Four times in what they call the regular session, one time in what's called the organizational session. That's the law. Now, if they go in outside of that, it can only be because the governor called them into a special session. So, which is kind of weird to me that the legislature, a co-equal and separate branch of government, can't come in of its own volition without a call from the governor outside of the normal days. But anyway, here's the deal. They go in today. Today, you've got literally 37 new lawmakers. And there's only 135 to begin with, 140, I'm sorry, 140 lawmakers to begin with, 35 in the Senate, 105 in the House. 37 of them is new. That's a chunk. So you're looking at right now, what am I looking at there? Uh, You're somewhere around mm, 20% of the legislature is new right now. And they go in for the organizational. This is where they pick leadership. This is where they assign committees. And some of the stuff they know in advance what they're going to do, they better know in advance. Sometimes they set new rules. And, um, and, and this is what you're going to see unless somebody has a you know, removal for good cause shown. You're going to see these people in these places for the next four years. So one of the things we talked about at length yesterday was they're going into the organizational session and the House of Representatives – uh, stirred up a bit of a hornet's nest because the new leadership there is proposing a new set of rules or like modifications to the existing rules. I kind of go back to the if it ain't broke, don't fix it thing. They're trying to uh, so-called streamline the processes. Well, they may streamline it. It's also going to shut down debate. It's also going to be something you have to be very careful about because you shut down debate today or make it Democrats hard to get a word in. Guess what? They might be in charge one day and you're going to wish you hadn't done that. The other piece of this is, what does it do to conservatives? Because true conservatives, in my opinion, are in the majority. The vast majority of Republicans in Montgomery are centrists. Some are even what I would call squishy centrists. But you've got some true conservatives down there that may want to put the halt on a bad bill. And some of these rule changes, uh, to me, they're, they're dangerously close to being something that could stifle debate. And so anyway, the organizational session for Alabama's legislature starts today, Uh, They'll be in for just a short period of time, uh, after which they will come back again uh, in the next uh, few weeks um, uh, for the actual regular session where they pass laws. No laws get passed, just rules, leadership, committee assignments, all the pomp and circumstance of organization. And uh, anyway, there's that right here, home fries in Alabama. All right, I got a series of stories Some related to crime, some related to good news, some related to things just around your state. You got to know it. It's home fries. Let's take a break right now, Boomer. We'll come right back. Right Side Radio. Y'all stay with us. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Home fries, that's where we are right now. Going to spend a little time 
talk about what's been happening around the great state of Alabama, which I love, by the way. I'm a, I'm a native son. I mean, I just, this, is, this is home. I, I've been all over the world, and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I'll just be honest with you. And, and you know, I say all that not in terms of a uh, this is mine, you can't have it kind of attitude, just more of in a sense of appreciation. Every once in a while when you go somewhere else, you think, golly, look at how good it was back there. <laughs> um, but we got our problems and we got our beefs and we have some of the same concerns other people have in other places about what happens on the federal side. But listen, we, we got stuff happening around the state and you got to stay in tune with it because it's so easy for us to get all caught up. And Fox News said this about D.C. Well, you may have had 10 things that were more important happen in your backyard. But Fox News talks about D.C. or talks about Mexico, and I, I get it. But you know what? There's, there's got to remain some level of focus on where we are. What's our public policy in Alabama? What is our crime rate in Alabama? What's our housing market? What's our jobs market? What's going on here? Uh, where are the best places to live? What, what needs to change? Who, who are we electing at the local state level? And uh, so, yeah, I'm, a, I'm of a mind that we got to stay in tune with where we is, and that's important. Um, Madison County had a shooting like, uh, I don't think we've seen in quite a while. And I don't, I don't, I just don't know that it's getting enough news. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't story came out yesterday and I've got an update for it online that I'll flip over to here in just a minute. But in case y'all did not hear highway 72, um, AL.com reports that, uh, there was a shooting where two were killed, 13 were injured over 200 rounds were fired. 200 rounds. Y'all, listen, I can go to the gun range and spend half a day and not shoot 200 rounds. I can, I can go to the gun range and not find 200 rounds laying on the ground from other people who already been there before me. 200 rounds is a lot of brass. And the idea that this happened on Highway 72 driving through Madison County, I stress county, not city. I already had a couple people earlier that pinged me, said, Phil, Phil, county, not city. I get it. I get it. But you know what? Highway 72 passes through both. And it wasn't far outside the city limits. Uh, Madison County Sheriff Kevin Turner said he's vowing to arrest anyone involved in Saturday night's shooting. There are two people in custody on a reckless murder charge following an incident that involved hundreds of shots being fired at a surprise 21st birthday party. Yeah, it was a surprise, all right. Um, By the way, it's a birthday party. Were you fighting over the cake? What's the deal? Anyway, Turner said at a Monday press conference he expects more arrests because it was not a random shooting. It was a stupid act. It was more than stupid. But, yeah, I agree with the the sheriff, though. Said the shooting occurred at a place called Legacy Events, a venue located at a strip mall near Maston Drive on U.S. 72 uh, around 1130 Saturday night. As many as 100 people were at the site at the time of the shooting. Turner said 13 people were wounded, which left two dead, three people still in critical condition, Eight others were shot, so apparently not all of the, uh, what is it, one? Yeah, yeah, okay. We got, yeah, 13 people. Um, the two who died were both 20-year-old females, uh, one named Caitlin Jenkins, another one named Quantasia Grant. According to Sheriff Turner, the shooting involved two different groups, multiple weapons, investigators collecting more than 200 shell casings. They said you could literally not take a step without stepping on a shell casing. It happened um, outside the center, out on the sidewalk, into the parking lot, and out onto U.S. 72 with multiple calibers of handguns and rifles. Story on uh, AL.com today has an update. Um, It says that uh, uh, there were two people arrested, and I'm trying to find 
if they they did not name. Oh, arrested were Ashton Latrez Elliott, 20, of Huntsville, and Demarcus Thompson, 19, uh, both charged with reckless murder. Um, you know, this is this is awful. And the very idea this occurred right here in Madison County. Um, this is this is one of the uh, obviously the the more populated areas in the state, which is always going to have a problem when you have a compressed you know amount of people. But what we looked at right, this is the kind of thing you expect to see, like I don't know Chicago, or uh, Philly, or something. But but right here in Madison County, not even in the city limits, Madison County, a um, hundred people were at a place where two hundred rounds were fired, thirteen people shot, two of them killed. Three more in critical condition. That's awful. That is that is just next layer awful. But you know, it, it's it's not just what's happened. the The, the crime rate um, has spiked uh, everywhere. And uh, Yellowhammer News reports that Birmingham has the highest homicide count in 2022 since 1933. That's wow. We're talking close to 90 years. Birmingham, it says, already the murder capital of Alabama has joined. By the way, it's, it's, it's one of the highest per capita murder rates in the United States. You might have gross numbers that are bigger in places like Atlanta or Philadelphia or Chicago, but when you take it by population per capita, Birmingham has one of the highest murder rates in the nation per capita. Birmingham, it says, already the murder capital of Alabama has joined a list of U.S. cities that have the highest homicide rates per capita, like I said. The city over the last few years has repeatedly landed in the top five of that group. Law enforcement officials in these cities and throughout the state believe there has been a nationwide uptick in homicides and that the trend is not specific to one area, but it is happening throughout the country. I think if you'll look, you'll find, they don't say it in this article, but I've seen it in other studies, that the vast majority of upticks in major crime in terms of violent crime is happening in Democrat-run cities where they've gone soft on crime and and weak on the police. And uh, while they defund the law enforcers, they, you know, absolve and encourage the lawbreakers. It says in 2022, Birmingham experienced 144 homicides. That's the most in decades. And the weapons were typically firearms. The record high for Birmingham was set in 1933 with 148. The city's lowest numbers came in 1956 with a total of 56. So you're looking at we were only four away from setting the all-time record. And we basically are the second highest, I think, ever in the city of Birmingham's history. And oh, by the way, it's the highest amount in, what, 89 years? That's sad. Uh, that's, that's messed up, and, uh, and, I, and I hate to see it. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to come back with some other stuff, not just murders and shootings around the state. I got other things that will happen, including some good stuff about the state of Alabama, because like I said, there are things worth talking about. What did Governor Ivey do about the Department of Corrections' uh, good time policy? We'll talk about that. How about our Alabama Republican Party taking a stand against the national leadership? Ah, I like this. And then, yeah, that lady from Alabama who joined ISIS, well, she's back. We'll talk about it. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
right side. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national, sometimes the international, covering down on all of the details. And, man, we are solid, conservative, and just plain right, like the dude just said. Hey, uh, I'm in uh, number two of the Triple Dipper. You know, I've had, Boomer, I've had uh, no, like, special guests or anything, and it's still taken two hours to get to number two of the Triple Dipper. Well, I've been in it for a little bit, but. Yep. Other than that one little rant that I put you on, other than that, it's been great. <laughs> was that a with a rant? Oh, the rant <laughs> about the souvenirs. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, so much good content. I mean, and stuff that people need to know. Uh, things you got to know. Ooh, so yes. I'm in home fries right now. Story on eighteen nineteen news. Our friends at eighteen nineteen, Will Blakely, who's been on this show before, uh, headline today: the Alabama woman who joined ISIS. Hopes to return to the U.S. In her words, if I need to sit in prison and do my time, I will do it. Um, So, yeah, you may remember this. Uh, She was raised in Hoover. Uh, An Alabama woman, it says, who moved to Syria to join ISIS in 2014 is now saying she's willing to serve time in prison if it means she can return to the U.S. Of course she is. Hoda Mathana, 28, was born in New Jersey, raised in Hoover by a conservative Muslim family. In a rare interview with the News Moment... Mathana told the press about how ISIS brainwashed her before she left Alabama in 2014, flew to Turkey, and crossed into Syria. And I got to ask, how did ISIS brainwash her from afar? The only way that can happen is if she allowed herself to be indoctrinated uh, either online or at uh, a local gathering, of a, like a, a mosque or a social center. Anyway, before she left Alabama in 2014, she flew to Turkey and then crossed into Syria. There, Islamic State officials detained her in a house for unmarried women and children. That's what they do. And she says, I've always said, if I need to sit in prison and do my time, I will do it. I won't fight against it. She just wants to come back to the United States. Mathana has been married three times to ISIS fighters. Mm. Tweets on her account emerged at one point encouraging U.S. citizens to travel to territories under ISIS control to support the Islamic State. Other tweets from her account called for violence, including one over Memorial Day once urging Americans to go on drive-bys and spill all of their blood. Um, Anyway... Uh, she also said, though, that even though she claims that those posts were hacks by people who took her phone and did it, uh, she also said in a 2019 ABC News interview, I can't believe I even thought of that. So there you have it. Um, Mathana, though, it says, might not be the only one in her family who's attempted to join the Islamic Caliphate. Mathana's sister, Arwa Mathana, and her husband, James Bradley, attempted to travel to the Middle East on a cargo ship in 2021. They were arrested and charged by federal agents who accused them of preparing to fight for ISIS. That, that family's got problems. I mean, so I, I'm not sure what they mean at the first part when they say raised in Hoover by a conservative Muslim family. Does conservative mean radical or does conservative mean we would never condone this? We're not sure how both of our daughters became radicals. I don't know. All I know is I mean, every family has issues, but dang, that family's got some issues. 
when your kids are leaving Hoover of all places. Hoover. I mean, life's pretty good in Hoover by, you know, comparison to some other places. And they're leaving to go fly to Turkey. How'd they fly to Turkey? And cross into Syria to join ISIS. Yeah, for right here in Alabama. Uh, new change to prison policies. So this got some attention this past year. You remember in 2021, the past year, I guess two years ago, in 2021, um, Sheffield police officer Nick Reisner um, was killed. Uh, he was killed by a guy uh, who was out on what they called good time from prison. Good time. Good time is the euphemism for an incentive to follow the prison rules and get time off your sentence. So basically, if you've been a, a, a good inmate, you, you follow the rules, you've not been caught doing things that are infractions or, for that matter, crimes inside the prison, you may qualify for good time. And good time allows, at the time, it allowed the actual, um, I think the actual the warden of the particular prison to give people time off from their time served or their sentence and, and get them out quicker. Well, it, I get it. It encouraged good behavior. It also let some people out who shouldn't have been out. So Governor Ivey on Monday of this week, according to 1819 News, has issued an executive order to change the Department of Corrections' so-called good time policy. It says that a new policy, a new executive order was issued. Here's the deal. The governor says, today I'm proud to announce an important step that will increase public safety. I signed an executive order to make improvements to policies within the DOC, allowing the commissioner and the good men and women who work for him to be able to, to better enforce the laws. And what she basically did was she set a category. You can't just give good time to anybody. It has to be someone who has met certain criteria. And even then, it has to be measurable and sustained through you know, a written um, uh, a policy and a, and a, a written uh, adherence to certain rules. So number one, you've got low levels. In other words, these are, they, they, they cannot have committed these infractions along the way. Low-level violations, which means like de- gambling, disorderly conduct, possession of contraband. Medium-level violations, which means two low levels in one year or fighting without a weapon, possession, that kind of thing. High-level violations with things like assault with a weapon. These are all inside the jail. Fighting with a weapon, sexual offenses, robbery possession of the weapon, rioting or inciting a riot, those kind of things. And then there's severe, which is the fourth category. If you inside the prison commit homicide or assault with a weapon or sexual assault, or you attempt to escape. Anyway, a low violation results in the revocation of one good time day. You get it, you get it taken away from you. A medium violation is two years. A high violation is three years. And a severe violation revokes all good time from an inmate. Um, that, that's a that's a that's a better policy. It's a much better policy. It was being abused before, and uh, and, and and yeah, we we we've got, our Department of Corrections has got so many problems. And we had a great we had that great piece. What day was that boomer that we did the uh, interview with uh, um, uh, Annette Funderburk about the uh, Ingram State? Was that Monday? Oh yeah, no, it was Friday. Last Friday, last Friday. Friday is, and we have it up. People can go look at it on the. On yeah. the podcast. Yeah, I, I will say this. That was a good news story. It was very good. And I actually put it up um, on one of our stories on Instagram as well to go back. It's probably gone now, but I mean, it's it was a great story. Listen, I got to tell you too, I don't know if I told you this. After the show, I'll tell the whole audience about this. <laughs> I'm telling the, hello world. Hey, we're uh, just chatting. Oh, by the way, don't just worries. Boomer and I hanging out. Oh, everybody's <laughs> listening. Uh, but no, um, after the show, after Annette Funderburk was here talking about Ingram State and how they, they provide an educational opportunity and then even try to support 
these guys when they leave prison to get a job and even mm -hmm. buy them tools and help them put their resumes together and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Got an email from a guy who said that he was literally driving on Highway 72 and he went to the WVNN studio because that's one of our affiliates for our syndicated show here. He went to the WVNN studio to find out how to get in touch because he said, I have a company. I'm a DHR guy at my company. I will put those people to work if she will work with me on getting it done. Wow. So that evening I was connecting that guy <laughs> and, and that fund to Burke. And I'm hopeful that, that we're going to find out that listening to the show, we got some more you know, people a job. Oh, um, how would, cool. Wouldn't that be cool? Wow. That's very cool. That's neat. Um, next story I got. You know, I've been talking about the fact that the Republican Party – has a mech problem. <laughs> we got we got some mech, mech problem. problem. Yes, I'd like an order of mech problems, please. Um, what what pray tell, Phil? What do you mean? Well, it was McCarthy, uh, McConnell, and McDaniel. Our mech problems. Well, we got the first one solved. All right, so they got McCarthy taken care of. All right, they he he conceded on some points that conservatives wanted. I'm satisfied. Uh, couldn't have asked for more, I think, in terms of what we're uh, getting. But then you got the other two that are still McProblems. McConnell is about his square. McConnell said, well, I never guaranteed that we were going to have a Republican wave. All right. Why are you still there, dude? Why are you in charge? You presided over lukewarmness. You presided over nothingness. But then there's McDaniel. Ronald McDaniel is the head of the Republican Party, the National Republican Party, the RNC. She has been the chair of the RNC now uh, through some very tepid election results. Allegedly, she's the one helping steer the Republican Party to success, right? To setting good public policy, to, to meeting the goals of the, of the voters. And what happened? We gained nine seats in the House, and we failed to take control of the Senate. We even lost a seat in the upper chamber because of what happened in Georgia. And Ronna McDaniel has presided over that. And there are people I've been saying on the show, she needs to go. I, right after the election, I said it was time for her to go. Well, the Alabama Republican Party just stood up, man. Yellowhammer News, our buddy Yaffe from WVNN, he wrote this piece. The ALGOP steering committee votes no confidence in Ronna McDaniel. Wow. I'm not sure that that's happening other places, but we're on the record, y'all. And by the way, I think that's leadership. That's the way it should be. I, I'm, I'm so glad to see they're not going in going, well, we'll just see if perhaps she could do a little better for us next time. No. They're like, how about, freaking no, we don't need you anymore. So it says that many in the party, including Alabama, blame Republican National Committee Chair Ronald McDaniel's leadership for the underwhelming results in the November elections. Uh, the committee voted for her to go declaring a vote of no confidence. That's the Alabama Steering Committee. Mm. Wow. The committee gave the following reasons. Number one, we believe the RNC leadership needs new vision. Number two, we believe the RNC needs to make defending the American people and their God-given rights and freedoms a priority. Number three, we believe the Republican Party needs to stand strong for the party platform and the principles that made this country great. And number four, we believe the RNC needs fresh, new leadership who can expire, inspire and lead grassroots Republicans to victory. And then it ends with this quote. For these reasons, the Alabama Republican Party Steering Committee cannot support or endorse Ronald McDaniel for RNC chair and declare our vote of no confidence in her leadership. That is strong, man. 
That is way strong. When an entire state's delegation issues a statement like that going into the national convention, woo, that's something. All right, Boomer, take us to the break, brother. We'll go and we'll come right back, finish it up with, uh, did you hear about the former Speaker of the House? He's out of jail. We'll talk about that briefly. And then a couple of good news stories about the state of Alabama, because I'm leaving the home fries on a high note. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right home fries. That's what we're talking about right now. Finishing up number two of the Triple Dipper here today, home fries, things that are happening around our home state right here in Alabama. All of y'all on podcast, just listen and wish you were here. So we, we got our problems and we know it, but, uh, but, but listen, this, there's a reason why they call it Alabama the Beautiful. I mean, it, how many states do you know that can say that they've got mountains, in the north, down through rivers and into fertile plains and down to white sandy beaches and coastal regions with warm waters. And I'm just telling you, we got warm water ports. We got river traffic. We've got literally everything it takes. We, we, we could be a self-sustaining country of our own when it comes to agriculture. Uh, we've got uh, literally things like you wouldn't believe it, but the poultry business is a billion-dollar industry in Alabama alone. Um, there is so much going on here. We are now considered to be what they, for a while there, they're calling the Detroit of the South because auto manufacturing has made Alabama such a home. Um, the military community here is huge. Uh, world-class uh, athletics in our, um, and academics, I'm sorry, academics and athletics in our college systems. You know, we got places we got to fix some things, not the least of which is our, our K-12 education system has got to get better. But quality of life in Alabama is ranked high. A um, couple of things you might want to know, though, and, and by the way, this is one that uh, I, I look back on and, you know, I know him personally, um, and, but uh, former Alabama House Speaker Mike Hubbard, if you don't remember, uh, Mike Hubbard was part of the architect of the 2010 Republican wave that took over the, uh, the legislature after 136 years of Democrat control. Um, uh, Mike Hubbard uh, wound up being convicted in 2016, though, of 12 counts of violating the ethics laws. Um, six of those charges were then thrown out by the appeals court. Um, you know, there were people, by the way, who were lamenting the idea that Mike would uh, be allowed to go and appeal these things. He, he, he can't appeal. Well, of course you can appeal. Every prisoner has, or every, every, every convictee has a right to appeal. It's a good thing he did because uh, half of them got thrown out. But um, he still had to serve. And so he just spent 28 months uh, uh, in, um, in jail. And uh, Mike Hubbard, former Speaker of the House of Representatives in Alabama, uh, just got out. I saw his, uh, his mugshot, his uh, release mugshot, uh, and he's definitely changed. Uh, he's aged. And I don't know what he's going to do. He may just retire quietly. I saw one guy that said, or he may come back with a vengeance. Who knows? <laughs> but um, anyway, Mike Hubbard, he did serve his time, and, uh, and there's that. A couple of good news stories here as we wrap up this segment. Did you know that most recently— According to the Bama Buzz, most recently, the Yellowhammer State, that's what we are, 
The Yellowhammer State has been ranked as the sixth best state to do business in in the entire nation. The sixth best of alls of them. All right? And it's because we had so many categories they look at where we ranked high. Um, it says companies from around the world have discovered that our state can offer them a favorable business environment, a motivated workforce, and a support system that makes success possible, said Grand Can Greg Canfield, who I, I know he's a good dude. Greg Canfield, Secretary of the Department of Commerce. Here's where we rank high. Here's the breakdown of the categories where Alabama ranked in the top 10. And all of these point systems they put together because of these rankings. Uh, speed of project permitting, number one in the nation. Uh, energy availability and costs, number three. Favorable regulatory environment, number three. Overall cost of doing business, number four. Workforce development programs, number four. Uh, business incentive programs, number five. Available real estate, number seven. Corporate, or excuse me, cooperative state government, number eight. Corporate tax structure, number eight. Competitive labor environment, number 10. Uh, site readiness programs, number 10. There's only five southern states in front of us. Um, I'm sorry, there's five southern states in the front of the pack. Let me put it that way. Um, Alabama, sixth in the nation for being declared the place to go and do business. So uh, that can do nothing but help. And then the last thing as we go to the break here, so United Van Lines, and I saw that U-Haul does this also. United Van Lines issues their annual report. Where do more, what states have more of their van lines doing what they call inbound moves? In other words, you get it a one-way truck rental, and, or, or excuse me, a, a moving, uh, and, and you take all your stuff to that place. Well, uh, U-Haul does it on rentals. United Van Lines does it on moving people. But United Van Lines just released their 46th annual national mover study that they say indicates where Americans choose to live. And it continues to show, they say, that there are lower density. In other words, suburbs and countryside is uh, becoming far more preferable to the inner cities. Reckon why. Um, it says, according to the results of the study, which tracks the company's exclusive data, Vermont saw the highest percentage of inbound migration. Guess what? Alabama, 10th in the nation. Tenth in the nation for people moving to the state. That's pretty cool. And uh, do we have our problems? Yeah. But you know what? We're considered by United Van Lines to be the tenth biggest in terms of people wanting to come here for one reason or another. That's just cool. All right, we're going to come back. I'm going to go to number three on the Triple Dipper, failed state of Mexico. This, is, this has got some stuff. You're going to want to hear it. What's happening down south of our border? has ramifications that could ripple for a while. Phil Williams, we'll be right back.